Section 5 of The Lives of the Queens of England, Volume 6, by Agnes and Elizabeth Strickland. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Elizabeth, Chapter 2, Part 2. On the morning of the 6th of July, Edward expired at Greenwich, but his death was kept secret for the purpose of securing the persons of his sisters, to both of whom deceitful letters were written in his name by order of Northumberland, requiring them to hasten to England to visit him in his sickness. The effect of this treacherous missive on Mary, her narrow escape and subsequent proceedings, have been related in her memoir in the preceding volume of the lives of the queens of england elizabeth more wary or better informed of what was in agitation by some secret friend at court supposed to be cecil instead of obeying the guileful summons remained quietly at hatfield to watch the event this was presently certified to her by the arrival of commissioners from the duke of northumberland who after announcing the death of the young king and his appointment of lady jane grey for his successor offered her a large sum of money and a considerable grant of lands as the price of her acquiescence if she would make a voluntary secession of her own rights in the succession which she was in no condition to assert elizabeth with equal wisdom and courage replied that they must first make their agreement with her elder sister during whose lifetime she had no claim or title to resign letty assures us that she also wrote a letter of indignant expostulation to Northumberland on the wrong that had been done to her sister and herself by proclaiming his daughter-in-law queen. A fit of sickness, real, or as some have insinuated, feigned, preserved Elizabeth from the peril of taking any share in the contest for the crown. Her defenseless position and her proximity to the metropolis placed her in a critical predicament and if by feigning illness she avoided being conducted to the tower by northumberland's partisans she acted as a wise woman seeing that discretion is the better part of valor but sick or well she preserved her integrity and as soon as the news of her sister's successes reached her she forgot her indisposition and hastened to give public demonstrations of her loyalty and affection to her person by going in state to meet and welcome her on her triumphant progress to the metropolis the general assertion of historians that elizabeth raised a military force for the support of queen mary is erroneous she was powerless in the first instance and the popular outburst in favor of mary rendered it needless after the first week's reign of the nine days queen was over on the twenty ninth of july according to the cottonian manuscript quoted by stripe elizabeth came riding from her seat in the country along fleet street to somerset house which now belonged to her attended by two thousand horse armed with spears bows and guns in this retinue appeared sir john williams and sir john bridges and her chamberlain all being dressed in green but their coats were faced with velvet satin taffeta silk or cloth according to their quality this retinue of elizabeth assumed a less warlike character on the morrow when it appears that mary had disbanded her armed militia when elizabeth rode through aldgate next day on her road to meet her sister she was accompanied by a thousand persons on horseback a great number of whom were ladies of rank the royal sisters met at wainstead 
where elizabeth and her train paid their first homage to queen mary who received them very graciously and kissed every lady presented by elizabeth on the occasion of mary's triumphant entrance into london the royal sisters rode side by side in the grand equestrian procession the youthful charms of elizabeth then in her twentieth year the majestic grace of her tall and finely proportioned figure attracted every eye and formed a contrast disadvantageous to mary who was nearly double her age small in person and faded prematurely by early sorrow sickness and anxiety the pride and reserve of mary's character would not allow her to condescend to the practice of any of those arts of courting popularity in which elizabeth who rendered everything subservient to the master passion of her soul ambition was a practice adept in every look word and action elizabeth studied effect and on this occasion it was noticed that she took every opportunity of displaying the beauty of her hand of which she was not a little vain within one little month after their public entrance into london the evil spirits of the times had succeeded in rekindling the sparks of jealousy between the catholic queen and the protestant heiress of the throne that mary after all the mortifications that had been inflicted upon her at elizabeth's birth had had the magnanimity to regard her with sisterly feelings is a fact that renders the divisions that were effected between them the more deeply to be regretted when mary who had never dissembled her religious opinions made known her intentions of restoring the mass and all the ancient ceremonials that had been abolished by king edward's council the protestants naturally took alarm symptoms of disaffection towards their new sovereign betrayed themselves in the enthusiastic regard which they lavished on elizabeth who became the beacon of hope to which the champions of the reformation turned as the horizon darkened around them but it was not only on those to whom a sympathy in religious opinions endeared her that elizabeth had succeeded in making a favorable impression for she was already so completely established as the darling of the people of england that pope julius the third in one of his letters adverting to the report made by his envoy commendioni on the state of queen mary's government says that heretic and schismatic sister formally substituted for her queen mary in the succession by their father is in the heart and mouth of every one the refusal of elizabeth to attend mass while it excited the most lively feelings of admiration for her sincerity and courage among the protestants gave great offence to the queen and her council and the princess was sternly enjoined to conform to the catholic rites elizabeth was resolute in her refusal she even declined under pretext of indisposition being present at the ceremonial of making her kinsman courtney an earl this was construed into disrespect for the queen some of the more headlong zealots by whom mary was surrounded recommended that she should be put under arrest mary refused to consent to a measure at once unpopular and unjustified but endeavoured by alternate threats persuasions and promises to prevail on her sister to accompany her to the chapel royal the progress of the contest between the queen and her sister on this case of conscience is thus detailed by the french ambassador noel in a letter dated september sixth 
elizabeth will not hear mass nor accompany her sister to the chapel whatever remonstrance either the queen or the lords on her side have been able to make to her on this subject it is feared that she is counselled in her obstinacy by some of the magnates who are disposed to stir up fresh troubles last saturday and sunday continues he the queen caused her to be preached to and entreated by all the great men of the council one after the other but their importunity only elicited from her at last a very rude reply the queen was greatly annoyed by the firmness of elizabeth which promised to prove a serious obstacle to the restoration of papacy in england the faction that had attempted to sacrifice the rights of both the daughters of henry the eighth by proclaiming lady jane grey queen gathered hopes from the dissension between the royal sisters elizabeth however who had no intention of unsettling the recently established government of the sickly sovereign to whom she was heir presumptive when she found that it was suspected that her nonconformity proceeded from disaffection demanded an audience with queen mary and throwing herself on her knees before her she told her weeping at the same time that she saw plainly how little affection her majesty appeared to have for her and that she knew she had done nothing to offend her except in the article of religion in which she was excusable having been brought up in the creed she at present professed without having ever heard any doctor who could have instructed her in the other she entreated the queen therefore to let her have some books explanatory of doctrine contrary to that set forth in the protestant books she had hitherto read and she would commence a course of study from works composed expressly in defence of the catholic creed which perhaps might lead her to adopt other sentiments she also requested to have some learned man appointed for her instructor the queen received these overtures in a conciliatory spirit and elizabeth appeared with her at the celebration of mass on the eighth of september a festival by which the church of rome commemorates the nativity of the blessed virgin griffith affirms that elizabeth did this with a bad grace and gave evident tokens of repugnance but she voluntarily wrote to the emperor charles v requesting him to send a cross chalices and other ecclesiastical ornaments for a chapel which she intended she said to open in her own house by these condescensions to expediency elizabeth succeeded for a time in maintaining her footing at court and securing her proper place in the approaching ceremonials of the coronation as next in rank to her sister the queen in the splendid pageant of the royal cavalcade from the tower to westminster on the preceding day elizabeth wore a french dress of white and silver tissue and was seated with anne of cleves her sometime stepmother in a chariot drawn by six horses trapped also with white and silver which followed immediately after the gold canopied litter in which the sovereign was born at the coronation elizabeth was again paired with the lady anne of cleves who had precedency over every other lady in court these two princesses also dined at the same table with the queen at the banquet an honor which was not vouchsafed to any other person there during all the festivities and royal pageants that succeeded the coronation mary gave public testimonials of respect and sisterly regard for elizabeth by holding her by the hand and placing her next to herself at table 
this noel notices that she did in particular at the great banquet given to the spanish ambassador and his suite elizabeth was also prayed for as the queen's sister by dr harpsfield at the opening of the convocation at westminster immediately after the coronation stripe who honestly narrates the fact complains that nothing was added in her commendation but this as she was opposed to the doctrines of the church of rome was scarcely to be expected from other divines neither were the deceitful terms of flattery which were conventionally used towards the members of the royal family of such importance to elizabeth as her public recognition by her sister's hierarchy and divines as the heiress presumptive to the throne this was of the greater moment to elizabeth because by the act which passed immediately after the meeting of mary's first parliament confirming the marriage of henry the eighth and catherine of aragon and establishing the legitimacy of the queen the subsequent marriage of henry with anne boleyn was rendered null and void and the birth of elizabeth illegitimate in point of law although from motives of decency as well as sound policy it was not declared so elizabeth was the darling of the people and as long as her reversionary claims to the regal succession were recognized by the reigning sovereign she stood beside the throne as a check to the plots of the aspiring house of suffolk on the one hand and the designs of the french party on the other lady jane grey was still living and unforgotten and henry the second of france treated his daughter-in-law the young queen of scots as the rightful sovereign of england on the plea that neither of the daughters of henry the eighth were legitimate their father had stigmatized the birth of both mary and elizabeth and the subservient parliament of june fifteen thirty six had in obedience to his unjust intention of preferring any future daughters that might be born to him by jane seymour or her successors to the issue of catherine of aragon and anne boleyn formally declared the royal sisters illegitimate and incapable of succeeding to the throne the act for settling the succession in fifteen forty five and the will of henry the eighth had indeed taken away the latter clause but the declaration of illegitimacy remained unrepealed and had been further insisted upon in the will of the late king edward the sixth by the exclusion of both princesses in favor of the granddaughter of the youngest sister of henry the eighth the experiment of placing a juvenile scion from a collateral branch of the royal family on the throne had been displeasing to the nation in general not only catholics but protestants had united in opposing so flagrant a violation of the old established laws of the regal succession in england the miseries caused by the wars of the roses had proved a salutary lesson on the danger of permitting a temporary alienation of the crown from the direct line of primogeniture and a mighty majority of the people had vested the sovereignty in the person of mary tudor according to the letter of her father's will the conditions of which she never violated with regard to elizabeth's reversionary claim to the succession so far the interests of elizabeth were united with those of her sister but when the act which established the legitimacy of the queen passed she and her friends took umbrage because it tacitly implied the fact that she was not born in lawful wedlock if elizabeth had acted with profound policy which marked her subsequent conduct she would not have called attention to this delicate point by evincing her displeasure 
but her pride was piqued and she demanded permission to withdraw from court it was refused and a temporary estrangement took place between her and the queen noel the french ambassador whose business it was to pave the way for the succession of the young queen of scots to the throne of england by the destruction of the present heiress presumptive fomented the differences between the royal sisters with fiend-like subtlety and satisfaction henry the second made the most liberal offers of money and advice to elizabeth while in fancy he exalted the idea of her disgrace and death and the recognition of his royal daughter-in-law as the future sovereign of the britannic isles from sea to sea under the matrimonial dominion of his eldest son the brilliancy of such a prospect rendered the french monarch and his ministers reckless of the restraints of honor conscience and humanity which might tend to impede its realization and elizabeth was marked out first as their puppet and finally as the victim of a plot which might possibly end in the destruction not only of one sister but both the protestant party alarmed at the zeal of queen mary for the re-establishment of the old catholic institutions and detesting the idea of her spanish marriage were easily excited to enter into any project for averting the evils they foresaw a plot was devised for raising the standard of revolt against queen mary's government in the joint names of the princess elizabeth and courtney earl of devonshire to whom they proposed to unite her in marriage that courtney who had been piqued at mary's decline to accept him for her husband entered into a confederacy which promised him a younger and more attractive royal bride with the prospect of a crown for her dowry there is no doubt though the romantic tales in which some modern historians have indulged touching his passion for elizabeth are somewhat apocryphal the assertion that he refused the proffered hand of mary on account of his disinterested preference for elizabeth is decidedly untrue it was not till convinced of the hopelessness of his suit to the queen that he allowed himself to be implicated in a political engagement to marry elizabeth who if consenting to the scheme appears to have been wholly a passive agent cautiously avoiding any personal participation in the confederacy till she saw how it was likely to end it is therefore difficult to say how far her heart was touched by the external graces of her handsome but weak-minded kinsmen the difficulties of her position at this crisis were extreme distrusted by the queen watched and calumniated by the spanish ambassador renaud assailed by the misjudging enthusiasm of the protestant party with spiritual adulation and entreated to stand forth as the heroine of their cause and tempted by the persuasions and treacherous promises of the subtle noel it required caution and strength of mind seldom found in a girl of twenty not to fall into some of the snares which so thickly beset her path noel made his house a rendezvous for the discontented protestants and the disaffected of every description midnight conferences were held there at which courtney was a prominent person though the pusillanimity of his character rendered it difficult to stir him up to anything like open enterprise noel informed his court that though elizabeth and courtney were proper instruments for the purpose of exciting a popular rising courtney was so timorous that he would suffer himself to be taken before he would act the event proved the accuracy of this judgment 
by the dint however of great nursing the infant conspiracy began to assume a more decided form and as elizabeth could not be induced to unite herself openly with the confederates noel affirms that they intended to surprise and carry her away to marry her to courtney and conduct them into devonshire and cornwall where courtney had powerful friends they imagined that a general rising would take place in their favor in the west of england with a simultaneous revolt of the suffolk faction in the east and other parts where they greatly miscalculated the popular feeling against the queen elizabeth meantime perceiving the perils that beset her on the one hand from the folly of her injudicious friends and on the other from the malignity of her foes and alarmed at the altered manner of the queen towards her reiterated her entreaties to be permitted to retire to one of her houses in the country the leave was granted and the day for her departure actually fixed but the representations of the spanish minister that she was deeply engaged in plots against her majesty's government and that she only wished to escape from observation by withdrawing herself into the country in order to have the better opportunity of carrying on her intrigues with the disaffected caused queen mary to forbid her to quit the palace so much incensed was the queen at the reports that were daily brought to her of the disloyalty of elizabeth that she would not admit her to her presence and inflicted upon her the severe mortification of allowing the countess of lennox and the duchess of suffolk to take precedency of her elizabeth then absented herself from the chapel royal and confined herself to her own chamber on which the queen forbade any of her ladies to visit her there without especial permission so considerable however was the influence elizabeth had already acquired among the female aristocracy of england and so powerful was the sympathy excited for her at this period that in defiance of the royal mandate all the young gentlewomen of the court visited her daily and all day long in her chamber and united in manifesting the most ardent affection for her elizabeth received these flattering tokens of regard with answering warmth in the vain hope that the strength of her party would place her on a more independent footing but of course it only rendered her case worse by exciting jealousy and provoking anger she was sedulously watched by the council spies in her own household made almost hourly reports of all her movements and every visit she received by one of these traitors information was conveyed to mary's ministers that a refugee french preacher had secret interviews with her on which the spanish ambassador advised that she should be sent to the tower renaud also charged noel the french ambassador with holding private nocturnal conferences with the princess in her own chamber this noel angrily denied and a violent altercation took place between the two diplomatists on the subject two of the queen's ministers paget and arundel then waited on elizabeth and informed her of the accusation she found no difficulty in disproving a charge of which she was really innocent and with some emotion expressed her gratitude for not having been condemned unheard and entreated them never to give credit to the calumnies that might hereafter be circulated against her without allowing her an opportunity of justifying herself the queen after this explanation as a pledge of her reconciliation with elizabeth presented her with a double set of large and valuable pearls 
and having granted her permission to retire into the country, dismissed her with tokens of respect and affection. It was in the beginning of December that Elizabeth obtained the long-delayed leave from her royal sister to retire to her own house at Ashridge in Buckinghamshire, but even there a jealous watch was kept on all her movements and those of her servants. Never had captive bird panted more to burst from the thraldom of a cage than she to escape from the painful restraints and restless intrigues of the court, where she was one day threatened with a prison, and the next flattered with the prospect of a crown, but the repose for which she sighed was far remote. Instead of enjoying the peaceful pursuits of learning, or sylvan sports, in her country abode, she was harassed with a matrimonial proposal, which had been suggested to Mary by the Spanish cabinet, in behalf of the Prince of Piedmont. It was not being considered expedient for the queen to solemnize her unpopular nuptials with Philip of Spain, till Elizabeth was wedded to a foreign husband. Elizabeth resolutely refused to listen to the pretensions of the Prince of Piedmont, and she also declined the overtures that were privately renewed to her by the King of Denmark, in favor of his son, whom she had refused during her brother's reign. In all the trials, mortifications, and perplexities which surrounded her, she kept her eyes steadily fixed on the bright reversion of the crown of England, and positively refused to marry out of the realm, even when the only alternative appeared to be a foreign husband, or a scaffold. The sarcastic proverb, defend me from my friends, and I will take care of my foes, was never more fully exemplified in the case of Elizabeth, during the first year of her sister's reign, for an army of declared enemies would have been less perilous to her than the insidious caresses of the king of France and his ambassador. Henry wrote to her letters with unbounded offers of assistance and protection, and he advanced just enough money to the conspirators to involve them in the odium of receiving bribes from France without bearing the slightest proportion to their wants. He endeavored to persuade Elizabeth to take refuge in his dominions, but if she had fallen into such a snare, she would have found herself in much the same situation as Mary Queen of Scots was, when she sought an asylum in her realm. The only result of this correspondence was, that it involved Elizabeth in the greatest peril, when letters in cipher, supposed to be from her in reply to Henry, were intercepted. On the 21st of January, 1553-54, to Gardiner drew from the weak or treacherous Courtney the secrets of the Confederacy, of which he was to have been the leader and the hero. The conspirators on the following day learned that they had been betrayed, and found themselves under the fatal necessity of anticipating their plans by taking up arms. Wyatt immediately sent to Elizabeth an earnest recommendation to retire from the vicinity of the metropolis, young russell the son of the earl of bedford who was a secret member of the confederacy was the bearer of the letter and it seems that he was the agent through whom all communications between wyatt and her were carried on sir james crofts also saw and urged her to adopt this plan elizabeth perceived her peril and determined not to take any step that might be construed into an overt act of treason she knew the weak and unsteady elements of which the confederacy was composed. Courtney had proven a broken reed, and of all people in the world, she had the least reason to place confidence in either the wisdom, the firmness, or the integrity of the Duke of Suffolk, 
who would of course if successful endeavor to replace his daughter lady jane gray on the throne common sense must have convinced elizabeth that he could have no other motive for his participation in the revolt it was probably her very apprehension of such a result that led this suspicious princess into an incipient acquiescence in the conspiracy that she might obtain positive information as to the real nature of their projects so that if she found them hostile to her own interests the power of denouncing the whole affair to the queen would be in her own hands under any circumstances elizabeth would have found a straightforward path the safest letters addressed to her by the french ambassador and also by wyatt were intercepted by queen mary's ministers russell was placed under arrest and confessed that he had been the medium of secret correspondence with the leaders of the confederacy and elizabeth wyatt unfurled the standard of revolt on the twenty fifth of january and the queen sent her royal mandate to elizabeth on the twenty sixth enjoining her immediate return to court where however she assured her she would be heartily welcome elizabeth mistrusted the invitation and took to her bed sending a verbal message to the queen that she was too ill at present to travel that as soon as she was able she would come and prayed her majesty's forbearance for a few days after the lapse of several days the officers of elizabeth's household addressed a letter to her majesty's council to explain that increased indisposition on the part of their mistress was the sole cause that prevented her from repairing to the queen's highness and though they continued in hope of her amendment they saw no appearance of it and therefore they considered it their duty considering the perilous attempts of the rebels to apprise their lordships of her state mary received this excuse and waited for the coming of elizabeth till the tenth of february during that eventful fortnight a formidable insurrection had broken out of which the ostensible object was the dethronement of the queen and the elevation of elizabeth to the regal office the french and venetian ambassadors had both intrigued with the disaffected and supplied them with money and arms mary had been attacked in her own palace by wyatt's army of insurgents she had quelled the insurrection and proceeded to measures of great severity to deter her factious subjects from further attempts to disturb the public peace terror was stricken into every heart when it was known that a warrant was issued for the immediate execution of lady jane gray and her husband wyatt and others of the confederates with the view of escaping the penalty of their own rash attempts basely denounced elizabeth and courtney as the exciters of the treasonable designs that had deluged the metropolis with blood and shaken the throne of mary elizabeth had fortified her house meantime and introduced an armed force within her walls probably for a defence against the partisans of lady jane gray but of course her enemies and the spanish party insisted that it was intended as a defiance of the royal authority the queen who had every reason to distrust her loyalty then dispatched lord william howard sir edward hastings and sir thomas cornwallis to bring her to court with these gentlemen she sent her own physicians dr owen and dr wendy to ascertain whether elizabeth was really able to bear the journey now dr wendy to his honour be it remembered was instrumental in the preservation of queen catherine parr's life by the prudent counsel he gave her at the time of her extreme peril and also as it has been supposed 
by acting as a mediator between her and King Henry. He had known Elizabeth from her childhood, and his appearance would rather have had the effect of inspiring her with hope and confidence than terror. Be that as it may, he and his coadjutor decided that she might be removed without peril of her life. Their three commissioners then required an audience of the princess, who, guessing their errand, no doubt, refused to see them, and when they entered the chamber, it being past ten o'clock at night, she said, Is the haste such, that it might not have pleased you to come in the morning? They made answer, that they were sorry to see her grace in such a state. And I, replied she, am not glad to see you at this time of night. This little dialogue, which rests on the authority of Hollingshed, is characteristic, and likely enough to have taken place, although it is not mentioned in the following letter of the commissioners to the queen. We are, however, to bear in mind that Elizabeth's great-uncle, Lord William Howard, who appears to have been the leading man on the occasion, would scarcely have related any speech on the part of his young kinswoman, likely to have been construed by the queen and her council as an act of contumacy. On the contrary, he describes Elizabeth as using the most dutiful and compliant expressions, only fearful of encountering the fatigue of a journey in her weak state. Any one, from his report, would have imagined her to be the meekest and gentlest of all invalids. The Lord Admiral, Lord William Howard, Sir Edward Hastings, and Sir Thomas Cornwallis, to the Queen. In our humble wives, it may please your highness to be advertised, that yesterday, immediately upon our arrival at Ashridge, we required to have access unto my Lady Elizabeth's grace, which obtained, we delivered unto her your highness's letter, and I, the Lord Admiral, declared the effect of your highness's pleasure, according to the credence given to us, being before advertised of her state, by your highness's physicians, by whom we did perceive the state of her body to be such, that, without danger to her person, we might well proceed to require her, in your majesty's name, all excuses set apart, to repair to your highness, with all convenient speed and diligence. Whereunto we found her grace very willing and conformable, save only that she much feared her weakness to be so great that she should not be able to travel, and to endure the journey without peril of life, and therefore desired some longer respite, until she had better recovered her strength. But in conclusion, upon the persuasion, as much of us, as of her own counsel and servants, whom we assure your highness, we have found very ready and forward to the accomplishment of your highness's pleasure in this behalf. She is resolved to remove hence to-morrow, towards your highness, with such journeys as by a paper, herein enclosed, your highness shall perceive, further declaring to your highness, that her grace much desireth, if it might stand with your highness's pleasure, that she might have a lodging, at her coming to court, somewhat further from the water, that is the Thames, than she had at her last being there, which your physicians, considering the state of her body, thinketh very meet, who have travailed, or taken great pains, very earnestly with her grace, both before our coming and after, in this matter. And after her first day's journey, one of us shall await upon your highness, so declare more at large, the whole state of our proceedings here, and even so, we shall most humbly beseech Christ, long to preserve your highness in honor, 
health, and the contentation of your godly heart's desire. From Ashridge, the 11th of February, at four of the clock in the afternoon, your highness's most humble and bounden servants and subjects, W. Howard, Edward Hastings, T. Cornwallis. The paper enclosed, sketching the plan of their progress to London, a document of no slight importance, considering the falsified statement which has been embodied in history, is as follows. The order of my Lady Elizabeth's Grace's voyage to the court. Monday, in primus to Mr. Cook's, six miles. Tuesday, item, to Mr. Pope's, eight miles. Wednesday, to Mr. Stamford's, seven miles. Thursday, to Highgate, Mr. Comely's house, seven miles. Friday, to Westminster, five miles. Such is the official report of Elizabeth's maternal kinsman, Lord William Howard, attested by the signatures of two other noble gentlemen. Motives of worldly interest, to say nothing of the ties of nature, would have inclined Lord William Howard to cherish and support, as far as he could with safety to himself, an heiress presumptive to the crown, so nearly connected in blood with his own illustrious house. He was the brother of her grandmother, Lady Elizabeth Howard, and in the probable event of Queen Mary's death without issue, it was only reasonable for this veteran statesman to calculate on directing the counsels of his youthful niece, and exercising the executive power of the crown. He was a man whom Elizabeth both loved and honored, and she testified her grateful remembrance of his kindness after her accession to the crown. If Mary had intended Elizabeth to be treated as barbarously as Fox has represented, she would have selected some other agent for the minister of her cruelty. End of section 5